Would you take your Bibles and turn to Psalm 119, and our text this evening will be verse 11. Psalm 119, verse 11. We're continuing on the theme this morning, not of unity, but that of thinking about resolutions. This morning we were thinking about, uh, as a church, that we would, we would consider the theme of unity as a resolution for this church corporately, that we would be eager to maintain the bond of unity and peace that has been established by Christ. And we'll just continue thinking about that, but rather than thinking about a resolution for the new year as a corporate body, as a church, we're going to be now thinking about it from a different angle, and that is personal, personal resolution as an individual. And specifically this evening, we're going to be thinking about the scriptures and how we view the scriptures. At this time of the year, I like to read Jonathan Edwards' resolutions. And if you've ever read Jonathan Edwards' resolutions, they're convicting, uh, they're also edifying, and they're challenging for us. And so I was considering what Jonathan Edwards thought about scripture itself and how he was resolved to treasure scripture. Number 11 resolution was this, resolved, when I think of any theological question to be resolved, I will immediately do whatever I can to solve it if circumstances don't hinder it. In other words, as Edwards would think about theological issues, if there was something he could not provide an answer for, he was resolved that he would spend the diligent time necessary to solve. Number 28, he says, resolved to study the Scripture so steadily and so constantly and so frequently that it becomes evident, even obvious to myself, that my knowledge of them has grown. You know, we oftentimes don't recognize our own growth in our knowledge of the Scriptures, but others can see it, and Paul makes this apparent with Timothy, that others can observe this. And so Edwards was so dedicated to the study of Scripture that he would himself one day say, I've grown and my knowledge of Scripture. Let me just give you one more. Number 44, he says, Resolved that nothing other than the gospel shall have any influence at all on any of my actions, and that no action shall be, even in the very least circumstance, anything other than gospel, de the gospel declares, demands, and implies. So that may not necessarily be the Scripture, but it's related to the Scripture. That no actions will come about unless they are influenced by the Word of God. So let me ask you this evening, what does the Word of God mean to you? What do you believe about the Bible? The Scripture tells us all Scripture is breathed out by God. That it is, it's literally God-breathed. We see also no Scripture comes by the will of man, but men moved by the Spirit spoke from God. This tells us what the Scripture is, is that the Scripture is the very Word of God. That has implications for what we think about the Bible, what we think about this Word. And so do we believe what the Bible even reveals about itself? Let me read you Psalm 119. You know the verse. I have stored up your Word in my heart that I might not sin against you. As we consider this, I want to... I want to look at this from two points. First, the effort, and then the result, and then we'll look at the application of it. But we begin first with the effort, and the effort starts with this. I have stored up your word in my heart. 
So as you think about this, who puts forth this effort? Well, it says I. This is speaking of the personal responsibility of treasuring God's word, of setting aside God's word in one's heart. And the personal aspect of this puts the onus on us as individuals that we treasure the word of God. So as you consider yourself, it's not me that treasures it for you. It's not your neighbor that treasures it for you. It's not your spouse that treasures it for you or your parents. It's not your fellow church member. But rather, it's upon you, the individual, that you treasure the Word of God. In fact, as we consider the Psalm 119 as a whole, the most prominent feature of Psalm 119, and this is often missed, is the personal pronoun. When you think of Psalm 119, it's often thought of as being a psalm about God's Word as the primary theme of it, and that's certainly a prominent theme of Psalm 119. Just go with, read through Psalm 119. It takes about 15 minutes, and count all the first-person personal pronouns in there. It's really coming from the individual standpoint of what the individual thinks about the Word of God. And so, as you think about this psalm, it's about what the psalmist has done by God's grace in his response to God's word. And specifically, what it tells us, and as we look at the the ESV translation that I'm reading from, I have stored up your word in my heart. That word store can be hid. I have hidden your word in my heart, or I I have treasured your word your word in my heart, and and it means to regard something as being highly valued. And now what's interesting to us about this, I have done this, the tense of this action is a completed action. In other words, the psalmist has said, I have set aside your word in my heart as being valuable. It's an accomplished fact. It's a reality of the psalmist of what they have done. In the book of Job, we see a use of this word of treasured or hid or something that is valuable. When we see it in Job, it's used in this way. I have not departed from the commandment of his lips. I have treasured the words of his mouth more than my portion of food. And what a great illustration that we find in the book of Job, something that we all naturally desire, that of something that's tasty, that's something that is good. He says, I've actually treasured the words of God, the words that come from God's mouth, more than I even treasure food. So when we think of this word treasured, it means something has been set aside in the heart that is of incredible value, of incredible worth of the person in whom that word is hidden. So I ask, what do we think of the word of God? Charles Spurgeon says this, of this idea of treasuring. He says, all that he had of the word written and all that had been revealed to him by the voice of God, all, without exception, he had stored away in his affections as a treasure to be preserved in a casket or as a choice seed to be buried in a fruitful soil. What soil more fruitful than a renewed heart wholly seeking the Lord? John Gill was the pastor of the Horsley Down Church. That was Charles Spurgeon's church, the Metropolitan Tabernacle, 100 years before Charles Spurgeon. 
And John Gill said this in his commentary. He says, it's not only heard and read, but received it into his affections, mixed it with faith, laid it up in his mind and memory for future use, preserved it in his heart as a choice treasure where it might dwell richly. A wonderful thought that it's tucked away there, not only for the present moment, but for whatever comes later on. So we see what this means to store, to treasure, to hide the Word of God. But where is the Word stored? It says it's in the heart. It's in the center of man. The heart, the mind, and the will all contained there. This is the place where one is called to to love God. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul. In that same place, we are called to store up God's Word. In the very center of us, you think of John Bunyan where they said if you had cut John Bunyan open, he would bleed bibbling. He would bleed the Bible. Why? Because he had stored it up in his heart. Would that be said of us? Now, what's the connection between these two things of this, the heart and loving God and treasuring God and loving God? Well, here's the the connection. How do we know God? How do we know God? Well, we know God by his chosen forms of revelation. Well, nature, as we see in Psalm 19, which we started our service with reading. Nature reveals the very glory of God. But that's not what the psalmist is speaking of in Psalm 119. He's not talking about a natural revelation of God that where we look at the creation and we recognize this creation must have been brought forth by the word of God, but he's actually speaking of a special revelation. He is here speaking specifically of the word of God. So how do we store up his word? So basically, storing it up means to treasure it, means it's a priority, and if it is a priority, then it means it it occupies a place of importance in our life, and if it occupies a place of importance in our life, that affects how we live our life in regards to the Word of God, whether it's guiding us or not, whether it's that treasured guidance for us that leads us through this pilgrimage. So what does it mean to store it up? Consider something about this. We oftentimes think about this this storing up the word. Well, how do we store it up? Consider what this meant historically to store up God's word. We live in a very privileged time, especially in the United States, where illiteracy rates are very low. That's not the case with church history. Go back 500 years ago, and it's very difficult to determine what literary rates were in past generations, but they were not high. It was usually of a certain class that were able to receive an education and be able to learn how to read. Then not only that, but let alone to be able to own a Bible. It wasn't until in the 1500s that the Gutenberg Press came out and people were able to own books And even when the press was invented, it's not like people could go down to the store and pick up a Bible. Most people couldn't afford to buy one. Most people couldn't read it. So you think about it, the last hundred years is a very unique period of time in church history where 
you could go into almost any American home and find a Bible or numerous Bibles and over the last 20, 30 years, you don't even have to own one, but you can go and look it up online for free and now carry it in your own pocket. But that wasn't the case over 100 years ago. It was not the case for people to be able to have the Bible. So then how would they store it up historically? It means that they had to treasure it in their heart by going to listen to it be read. Think about what Paul tells Timothy when he instructs Timothy in 1 Timothy 4.13. He says, Until I come, devote yourself to, public, to the public reading of Scripture, to exhortation, to teaching. Why did he say, commit yourself to publicly reading Scripture? Because people didn't own a bunch of scrolls in their home that they could pull out and read. So they would be contained in one place. And people would go to that place to hear the public reading of Scripture with an explanation of what the Scripture meant. So how people have traditionally, for the last 2,000 years, been instructed to be able to treasure the Word of God was not in their home, but was in the public gathering of the saints to hear the Word read. And I, I, I don't have any data of this, but I think it would be interesting to know how many people would, during that time, hear the word and be able to recite it later back to them. I think that that would be an interesting study. So what is the fruit of treasuring God's word? The first thing is this, and... I mean for tonight to be very practical for us. Uh, not so much exposition, but practical of how we think about this. If treasuring the Word of God in my heart is to have an importance of it, there has to be a corresponding fruit. What is the fruit? And that's what I want to look at is what is the fruit? Well, the first fruit of treasuring God's Word would be reading God's Word. That seems fairly obvious. If I treasure God's Word, then I'm going to read God's Word. And as I read God's Word, let me just give you a couple of ways in which you should read it. You should think of it in the terms of the big picture of Scripture. And I think of something that we do often here is we do a yearly Bible reading plan. In fact, we, we handed out some this morning so that we would be able to just simply read four chapters a day throughout the year. So we're daily taking in and imbibing portions of the Scripture on a regular basis. So the first way we can show the fruit of treasuring God's Word is just simply reading God's Word in a systematic fashion. Now, I think it's very interesting, and is this is that one of the blessings of modern uh, technology is that you can carry a Bible anywhere you, you go in, in your pocket with your phone. But I also want to say that's also not the most helpful way to study the Bible. Sometimes it's a good way to have it. It's convenient. I know that whenever I'm going someplace, if I just walk out of my office and I'm going, ah, I forgot my Bible. Okay, well, I can use my phone. That's not my Bible, but I know I can, I, can, I can grab a scripture if I need to. So it's very convenient. I'm not trying to say it's not, but, but there's actually something that they have shown 
tactile learning of actually holding the scripture to where you become so familiar with it, you can actually see where verses are on the side of the page without even being there. You, you can't do that on an electronic device. There's also something else as when we're reading the scripture that, that helps us reading the scripture. If you have an ESV translation, I think this is so helpful. You'll notice it's broken into paragraphs with indentations. And the reason why those indentations are there and the paragraphs are there is because the translators are showing us as we read the scripture, this is a complete unit of thought. That actually helps us to read the scripture, doesn't it? If we know and it's marked off by saying, this is a complete thought, and you get the, you get the gist of that thought, then you move on to the next one. That's something that's very helpful for us. And as we read the scriptures, I would recommend reading multiple versions. Because you'll find that sometimes, that is if you're reading just one translation, actually there might be another translation that translates a word better or helps you bring a better understanding. If you stick in just one translation, sometimes you'll miss the nuance of something. I would recommend reading multiple versions of it. There's a second fruit, not only reading the scripture, but there's a second fruit of treasuring God's word, and that is memorization. That is intentionally being able to recite the words of scripture from memory. How many are disciplined? Don't raise your hand. How many of you are disciplined in memorization? Most Christians struggle at this point, myself included. And we oftentimes say, I'm not good at memorization. Here's the reality. You will never be good at memorization unless you practice it. It's like doing anything else. If you pick up a sport, you will not get good at that sport apart from practicing. If you play a musical instrument, you will not get good at that instrument unless you practice that instrument. It is just a reality. You will not be a good memorizer unless you actually practice memorization. And, and it doesn't matter at what age. We can memorize at every age. And that, that is scientifically a fact. Some say, I don't have time. Yes, you do. You do have time to memorize scripture. You certainly have time. It's a matter of you have prioritized that time in the right way. You, you drive to work. What do, you, do you listen to the podcast or the radio or whatever? Or, or do you maybe say, you know what? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to memorize Galatians 2.20 today. I'm going to write it out, and I'm going to memorize that while I'm driving. You have time. That's the point. You have time. You say, it's overwhelming. There's so many verses. That's right. But just imagine this. Let's say if you memorized one verse a year for the next 12 years, in 12 years you have 12 verses. That's an accomplishment. But what if you just memorize one verse a month? You have 12 verses that you now have hidden in your heart every year, and in two years you have 24 verses, and so on and so forth. What if you memorized a verse a week? That's doable. You have 52 verses at the end of the year that you've memorized and you've stored in the Word of Heart. Let me ask you, do you think that that would be beneficial to your spiritual health? Do you think that that would be good for how you live your life and how you approach life? Do you think that that would help give you a better understanding of Scripture? We would all say yes, of course. But yeah, we don't do it. 
But it is a fruit of treasuring God's Word. There's another fruit of, of treasuring God's Word, and that is studying. That is learning what the Scriptures mean, because there's a difference between knowing the words of Scripture and understanding their meaning. So, what follows the memorization of Scripture must be the study of the Scripture to understand it. And I want to look at this in two ways. Look at the macro. That's the big thing, the big picture. What's the overall thrust of Scripture? What's the major themes of Scripture? What's understanding the books and how they fit into the overall picture? Let me ask you, if you had to summarize a book of the Bible, let's say summarize the book of John, and just say, this, this is, in one sentence, this is what John's about. Could you do it? A lot, a lot of us probably could say, okay, this is what the book of Genesis is about. This is what the book of John's about. This is the main theme of this. Isaiah, that might be tricky. Don't ask me to do Habakkuk. But just think about this for a second, is that is if we could say, this is the overarching theme of Scripture. Here's what the book of Genesis is about. Here's what the book of Exodus is about. Here's what Leviticus, yes, Leviticus, it's God's Word too. This is what it's about. Would that be beneficial to us? But then there's the micro, that's learning the difficult passages what was Paul talking about when he said baptizing of the dead in 1 Corinthians 15? Dif going and actually studying the difficult passages. How do we study? Well, primarily, we study as a church. But we also study individually. As a church, I think about, we've studied a lot of the Bible. We've studied a lot of theology. We've studied a lot of church history together. You have Sunday school, and I was just this more, uh, earlier this afternoon going back and forth with Clarence, trying to figure out how many Bibles, uh, books of the Bible we've gone through in just Sunday school. How many books of the Bible we've gone through on Wednesday night, on Sunday morning, and in Sunday evening. How many themes of Scripture we've covered? How many points of doctrine have we covered? We've covered a lot together that we've, we've, we've sat down and, and learned together. And that's a wonderful thing. So as we think about that idea of the big picture, well, we can do that together. And the micro, learning the difficult passages. You know, none of us needs to be the lone ranger out there trying to figure it out ourselves. None of us, myself included, should take that such great confidence in our ability to interpret this book by ourselves. It wasn't meant to be. And there's another fruit of treasuring God's Word, that is meditation upon God's Word. And if you think about it, is the other, pa other fruits of it were that of learning and intellectually knowing what it... Meditation really comes in the idea of application of that Scripture now. What is the application of the Scripture in my heart? You think of Psalm 1. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of, of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in season, and its leaf does not wither, and all that he does he prospers. That's meditating on it. It's chewing on it. 
until you've sapped all the nutrients out of it. And as we go through Scripture and we read Scripture, we are blessed with doctrinal boundaries that help us with the interpretation of Scripture. And we touched on this this morning. But what has the church confessed as being the basic summaries of what we believe in Scripture? I'll state it again, the Apostles' Creed, Nicene Creed, the Chalcedonian Creed. These were the common creeds of the church throughout history, that if you went to church, you would hear those creeds recited, and we would be reminded of the great truths of Scripture. So that way, when we go home, we have those boundaries in place. We have those boundaries in place that tell us this is what men endowed with the Holy Spirit have said. This is what Scripture means. And we stand in a long line of tradition with them. We also study it with denominational confession and trusted resources. You see, one thing about treasuring God's Word is this. Treasuring God's Word does not equal study or reading But studying, meditating upon God's Word, reading God's Word is the fruit of treasuring it. So that's why we begin with the question, how do we view the Word of God? Because the fruit shows us how we view the Word of God. The fruit is what really tells us where we view the Word of God in our heart. The result of treasuring it, the mark of treasuring it, is that we read it, we study it, we meditate upon it, we live according to it. So, do we treasure it? Do we treasure this word that he has given us? Now there's the result. This is the second point. The result of this treasuring in the word of God, according to the psalmist, is this, that I might not sin against you. The word that is telling us the purpose of it. The purpose of treasuring the word is so that we might not sin. And sin here is specifically defined as that which is against God. And so the purpose stated here goes beyond just mere knowledge of God, a mere knowledge of his word. But this teaches us the purpose of the study of the word of God is actually holiness. So why do we study the word of God? Well, the the, the aim, the purpose of why we do it is for holiness because we serve a holy God that calls for his people to be holy as well. And so our growth and knowledge needs to have a corresponding result of sanctification in our lives. So when we have head knowledge without holiness, it is actually worthless. It would be as if I had read a manual on how to play the piano, but I never, ever sat down and actually played the piano. That would be worthless. That's the whole point that's being made here by the Scripture. And it's because the Spirit transforms us through this word. You think of it in a couple of different ways. If sin is defined here as transgression against God... How do we learn what sin is? Well, we have God's law written upon our heart. It's naturally revealed, but it's also specially revealed. 
so, so that it penetrates the darkness of our mind, that we see specifically what it is that God expects of us. We learn it from the Word. So let me ask you, do you believe that the Word is impactful and transformative? Think of this, what Psalm 119 it starts with. Blessed are those whose way is blameless. Now, look at blameless, it's this, who walk in the law of the Lord. You see the corresponding result. Blameless walking is directly related to walking with the law of the Lord. That's his word. And then verse 2, blessed are those who keep his testimonies, who seek him with their whole heart who also do no wrong but walk in his ways. You have commanded your precepts to be kept diligently. Oh, that my ways may be steadfast in keeping your statutes. Then I shall not be put to shame, having my eyes fixed on all your commandments. I will praise you with an upright heart when I learn your righteous rules. I will keep your statutes. Do not utterly forsake me. We see here that the Word of God is transformative, but it's not only transformative and it tells us what not to do. We have the wonderful promises of God that actually give us hope in this life, that draw us to a desire of following God's Word. Think of 2 Corinthians 7.1, Since we have these promises, beloved We have these promises. Let us cleanse ourselves from every defilement of body and spirit, bringing holiness to completion in the fear of God. Notice the connection there. The driving force of this idea of holiness is not, don't do this, but it's actually the driving, motivating factor is the promises we have from God. That is what motivates them. Now, Here's one of the things that I hear a lot about Scripture. And let me give you a couple of objections. What about when I don't want to read the Scripture? You know, the question that I would have for in, in that situation is, is there a time you, that you want to read it, or is it just that you never want to read Scripture? Is there are times where you want to read it and then times you don't want to read it. If there are never a time, never a time that you want to read Scripture, there, there's some spiritual self-examination that needs to take place. Now, if it's just that sometimes you don't want to, to read it, that's still a time for examination. Why is it at this moment in my life I don't really feel like sitting down and reading the Word of God? And everyone goes through that. It's a time for us to actually examine why. What's going on in my life that would prevent me from communion with the triune God in His Word that He has given us that brings me life? And I think if we just simply stopped and asked that question, that barrier would start to be removed of why we don't read it. Some people say the Scripture is so boring The reason the scripture might be boring is because they're filling their minds with things that appeal to the flesh. And so when we fill our minds with things that appeal directly to the flesh, and that's where we get our excitement, then I could see how the scripture might be boring. But what's amazing to me is so many people come fascinated with the scripture 
it was funny, we were studying in Sunday school genealogies, and the, the, the person teaching the genealogies was so excited to talk about genealogies. Genealogies brought excitement. Word of God is not boring. Another objection is, what about when I read it, I, I cannot remember what I read. Well, welcome to my world. We're, we're all in the same boat. You read a page and you go, I don't know what I just read. I was thinking about what I'm making for dinner tonight. Well, that's because of the noetic effects of the fall. That means that our brain is darkened. We are sinful people. and our, we, It means we, it takes work. So when we can't remember what we read, we'll pray and then reread it. Set it down. Come back to it later. Reflect upon it. And when you start to build those habits in it, you'll find that it actually the discipline of reading gets easier. Sometimes I hear this. I read the scripture, but it doesn't make any sense. And there's a couple of questions that I will follow up with. Well, how much time are you putting into it? Because anything you try to take on will not make sense if you just read a little bit and you're not focused on it and you walk away. Of course it's not going to make sense. You know, we don't just put the Bible under our head and expect God to impute it into our brains. It actually has to take work. So if we just like casually look at it, of course it's not going to make sense. So the first question I have is, well, how much work are you putting into it? It's not like that, you know, when I come up and teach the Bible, I just open the Bible and start teaching. You're looking at about like 20 hours or 10 hours of work of studying it. It takes time. It takes effort. Another question I have is, how often are you involved in Bible studies at the church or those things that, 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 are, that are taking place in the church? And are you praying to, for the Lord to help you understand what the Word means? And if the Word is, doesn't make sense, do you have a, a study Bible, a commentary, a concordance? And then most importantly this, if the Bible doesn't make sense, Scripture actually gives us a solution to that. It's called discipleship. Are you being discipled? That's how we grow. And finally, an objection is, I'm not a good reader. Well, you, you don't have to be a good reader to read the Bible. And, and actually, your reading will improve, and you'll start to learn the language of God through it. But if I, I served with a man that was a very faithful man many years ago. He was illiterate. He couldn't read. Couldn't read anything. But he could listen. You, you can listen to the Bible even read by Johnny Cash if you wanted to. So there's no excuse to not have the Word of God in our lives because we can, even if we can't read it, it can be read to us. And remember, remember how we started this historically. Most people didn't have the Bible to where they could read it. It had to be read to them. So that's not an excuse. You see, what we think of Scripture... And how it is treasured in our heart is directly corresponding to our love for Christ. And if that seems like an, a, a, a hard-hitting comment, think of what Christ says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. Where do we learn his commandments? In his word. But there's a reality we have to face. Is if you're thinking about this and you're saying, boy, I, I don't measure up to what the scriptures is saying. Here's the reality of it. 
none of us do. But there was one that treasured the word in his heart more so than anyone, and he treasured it perfectly, and that was our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. And he treasured the word in his heart. So let us be motivated by his grace that he gives us for where we fail to treasure it in our hearts, to know that he treasured it perfectly in our place, that he was perfectly obedient to the word in our place where we have failed. So let us give praise to the Lord and let his grace motivate us to treasure this word as we're called to do. Our gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for the, the Lord Jesus Christ who perfectly treasured this word in his heart. We thank you for your word that you have given us that is perfect and complete. And we thank you for the indwelling of your spirit that enlightens this word to our heart and mind, that helps us to understand it. Father, we are in desperate need of your grace that we might treasure this word. And as we consider this coming year, may it be our heart's desire to have your word hidden in our heart that we might not sin against you. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. If you would